Welcome to Terminal Talk, a podcast on mainframe and mainframe-related topics. And we're going to try something a little different today, because a lot of people have been saying to us, you got to get over this being in the same room with everybody. So we've got Jeff on Skype, and we're going to try to do this with Jeff on Skype. So uh, let me just turn this knob up here. Jeff, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you, can you hear me, Frank? Oh, that sounds horrible. Uh, maybe my, let me move my microphone. I think it might be in the room. Hold on. Let me check. Let me move this. Oh. Oh. No, that sucks. Okay. Um, this, this should be better. The little microphone thing is moving around. Is this, is this any better? No. Can you, no. Can you, can you hear me now? <laughs> oh, no. It's, it's horrible. You, you sound like crap here. I was kind of hoping this would work. No. No. Jeff, just, just come over. This is horrible. Is this better? Much better. Man, I was really hoping technology would save us. Uh, <laughs> well, I guess we'll be doing the uh, whole microphone in person thing. I, I think we've learned our lesson. All right. And we have with us today Steve Dickens, the Linux One Global Sales Leader. That's something we don't normally say on this show. Yeah. Very sales. fancy. Welcome, sir. Welcome. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me on. Could you uh, start by saying, what the heck is Linux One? Okay, so Linux One is an IBM brand within the systems part of IBM that we launched back in August 2015. It's a enterprise Linux server focused in on performance, availability, security, and scalability. So we're positioning that brand to specifically go after clients who are looking to do Linux workloads and turn those dials for those four areas I talked about, performance, availability, security, and scalability, up to 11. So if you'll permit the spi- spinal <laughs> tap reference. <laughs> Always permitted. It, yeah, I thought in this with this crew it would be okay. but So it's really positioning that for those workloads where clients are, are really honed in on those particular requirements. And that area would typically be like where I've seen it uh, strongly positioned is in like banking and finance, where they typically have a, a strong Linux um, footprint already. Um, and you, you tweeted about something earlier this week about uh, uh, Temenos. Is that being like a like a good measurement or a hallmark of where it would be a good fit? Could you possibly talk about that a little bit? Yeah, exactly. So I think some of the verticals where we see the strongest requirements for <clears throat> a high-end Linux server are the, are the traditional industries that are fo- focused on scalability. So hundreds of thousands of clients or interactions or transactions. You know, banking would be a classic example of that. Retail, travel and transport, health healthcare sector. <clears throat> so those would all be sort of really interesting verticals for us. And as you say, I recently uh, tweeted and blogged about what we've been doing with Temenos. So Temenos, for those who don't know, are probably one of the leading core banking software providers. So if you want to buy a commercial off-the-shelf banking application... Which I might do, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend you run it on your laptop. Oh, but, I'm um, less interested now. <laughs> but um, Jeff's bank. <laughs> you'd be surprised the amount of new challenger banks that are starting... 
Um, and for some of those tier two, tier three, tier four, f- even five regional credit unions, maybe 20 branches. You know, so we're not talking the city groups here, right. not talking the Barclays banks. We're talking those kind of smaller banking organizations. T- Temenos and their T24 application would be a, a perfect fit. I was out um, at their conference a few weeks back in Dublin, and I was surprised that they've got 3,000 clients in 150 countries. Wow. So that just gives you a, a scale and a perspective. So that we the reason why I was tweeting and blogging about it is because we've just run a benchmark down in our Montpellier Benchmark Centre. And some of the some of the points there are just fantastic from a benchmarking point of view. 12x faster for overnight batch processing. So as you're looking to reconcile current accounts as a bank as an overnight batch process doing that in an hour versus 12 hours Hmm. is obviously material to you as a bank most of the other benchmarks were four to five x faster bigger quicker you know whatever the metric was than comparable x86 platforms so i think if you're a sort of tier two three four bank looking at a commercial off-the-shelf application Temenos will be on your shortlist. If it's on your shortlist, then we should be the platform to support that. And and I'm uh, I've grown to be wary of uh, four or five ten x claims. Why do you think it is faster? Is it just because you can consolidate more and play smarter with your resources? So, yeah. So there's an element of that. So the Temenos backend is typically an Oracle backend. So that's been a workload for yep. us from the get go with Linux One. So that's just a data serving at scale play typically we see a 10 to 1 consolidation for right. oracle databases so if you're looking to buy temenos that's licensed by transaction doing it on less cores isn't going to be a material to you at all but you're still going to have to look at getting oracle licenses to support that back-end database when an oracle database costs you forty-seven and a half thousand dollars per core and then you have to spend $15,000 on rack and $15,000 per core for their encryption, the costs add up pretty quickly for the Oracle backend. So we've got the sort of classic Oracle consolidation backend story, and then it's just these are IO-heavy applications. So from our point of view, just engineering in the box, we've got a, a dedicated IO subsystem. You don't have that in a comparable x86 environment. We've got a faster processor. We've got more cash, bigger cash. You know, it's deep engineering in the box means we can get to that proof point. Makes sense. So I just want to pull on that thread a little bit because you talked about things like encryption. Do I have the capability to do pervasive encryption in that environment? <clears throat> so we can obviously take... Um, a lot of the capabilities that are coming from other IBM um, server platforms and and apply those to what we're doing in a Linux concept. So hardware security modules, encryption on the chip, um, what the new technology we're launching that we're starting to talk about now post the Think conference around secure service containers. He's good. All of those (laughs) technologies come to bear in a Linux environment. So FIPS 140... Dash two level four, you know, deep techie sort of compliance security type stuff. If you're a bank, 
and you're looking at payment card industry data regulation, the PCI DSS guys are looking at that particular certification and starting to mandate it for banks. If you're comparing whether you put it on the cloud or whether you put it on-prem, most clouds, including the big three or four, are all FIPS 140-2, level 2 certified. IBM is one of the only servers with Linux 1 that is level 4 certified. So being able to secure your keys, tamper-proof them, you know. So all of our security value propositions just built on some pretty detailed, pretty techie, <laughs> low-level stuff that blows my mind, but, you know, real engineering that comes out of the guys here in Poughkeepsie. So, again, this is kind of important in in a world that, you know, in a world. looking in a world that you know, in a world. <laughs> you that, should be a voiceover, <laughs> voiceover actor with that type of lead up, my friend. Uh, in a world where GDPR is a big deal, um, is this kind of a, a value add of the product, or a customer saying that makes sense to me because I need to be able to support that? So we've just recently done a number of CIO and CTO interviews, um, and it was fantastic for me to be involved in a bunch of those. Uh, and really what we were doing in those was road testing our value proposition. Um, so in those calls, we'd spend half an hour understanding about what the client's challenge is, where they are on the journey to cloud. And then we'd spend the second half of those calls road testing Linux One. What, what out of the value proposition works? And out of the 30 calls I was involved in, literally to a man or woman on those calls, every one of them changed the minute we started talking about security. So, you know, obviously when you're out there talking to customers, they're polite enough to let you tell them about how great <laughs> your stuff is, but they find it very difficult to mask when they're genuinely interested. And so you could hear the tone of the conversation and the level of questioning and the amount of interaction instantly change as soon as we started talking about security. I read recently that the average length of tenure for a CIO is half that of a CEO. I think you could manage, you could measure in days the length of a CIO after a major security breach. Oh, yeah. The CEO's <laughs> got to throw somebody under the bus and got to declare that we're moving forward with a new team, and the full guy in that situation is going to be the CIO. So I think that's in the back of the mind of all these CIOs. So you mentioned something that's going to help them with their security posture, help them with compliance. Move away from people and process and move to technology that stops threats, and the, the conversation just instantly changes. But, but um, apart from other platforms, right? Linux One isn't saying just, hey, that security thing is the thing that differentiates us, right? I mean, the fact that you do this is cool and important part to a lot of CIOs, but you're not going around saying Linux One, the pervasive computing platform, right? I think as we've, we've looked at how we're positioning the platform over the last three years, I think we led on maybe the other three of those value props, the sort of performance, availability, scale, maybe bring TCO savings into that equation. Those were our kind of lead with messages. I think as the engineering teams and the development teams have padded out our security story with things like secure service container, we are increasingly leading with security. 
because Linux can run on everything. We were joking about it before we started, everything from a Raspberry Pi through a, a an Android phone. Mm-hmm. You know, a, the guys at the Linux Foundation talk about this, you know, everything from a Raspberry Pi, a phone, a TV, a screen in the back of a um airline seat, you know, right up to the world's biggest computers. It, it is a little scary when you see one of those rebooting, though. We've all sat there and yes. they've gone, we've got some trouble with the screens, yeah. we're just going to reboot the air- airplane. Yeah. Like, just the screens, just I the hope screen. you mean. And then you're nudging the brain, look, that's running Linux. Yeah, look, 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 look at that. Look at that. Yeah. So, so, I mean, all joking okay, aside, the operating system runs on everything. Yeah. Right. So how do we capture a workload for something that runs on everything from a Raspberry Pi right through to a, a Linux one. So well, we, we've got to be different, and we've got to have something that's unique. Right, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I'm I'm probably not going to run my IceCast server on a Linux one, right? So how do you determine, or how do you help a client determine this is a good time, this is a good workload, or this is a good set of workload, or my business really needs one of these? So, I mean, I tend to be pragmatic in that conversation so I think maybe previous um, conversations have been we can sweep the floor with all of your Linux environments and run it all on Linux One well technically we can you can run a web server on Linux One and you know it'll run great and if you want to put Tomcat on there it'll <laughs> it'll run like a scolded cat you know it's like great I think it would run better on like 4 or 5 yeah yeah I mean if <laughs> We should talk afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> I've got some POs and we'll, we'll talk. But no, I mean, all, all joking aside, I think with where clients are with cloud, where clients are with either public cloud or moving to a cloud for their um, on-premise deployments, I think you've got to be pragmatic. So I tend to have that conversation with a client this way. What are the 10% of workloads that keep you up at night? Hmm. Not go in there with big bravado and say I'll sweep the floor of all of your x86 environments and rip out 10,000 servers it's where's the credit card data held what are the 5, 10, 15 servers that if you get hacked Mr. CIO you lose your job so that 90s e-server commercial with uh, who stole the servers not really uh, you don't go in and show that so I mean it's around how you frame the conversation to get in. I think I was always taught people buy things for one of three reasons. Mm. Make money, save money, not get fired. <laughs> Pretty Maybe not in that order. And that's the point. <laughs> Everybody's out there having a, my, my box can save you money, my widget can save you money. People have got tired of that, my box will save you 30% story because the benefits are hard to, monitor, to, to to measure. They're typically 12, 18 months down the track. You've got to have a successful project to get there. Talking to a CIO or a CTO and saying, what's the environment that you're most worried about? And we can have that conversation to say, you know, where's the patient record data? Where's the pa- credit card data where's the pci dss data where's the you know where's that mailing list that gets gets you on the front page Mm. of the wall street journal if you get hacked you see the conversation change in a client's mind and they go oh yeah yeah that's that's that set of servers over there that's running oracle or postgres or mongodb if that goes down i'm toast yeah so that 
go and have that conversation first, and then we might be doing a consolidation and saving some money afterwards, but let's make the insertion point around the biggest pain point. So the way you're talking about it, because before you were mentioning um, positioning Linux 1 against x86, but increasingly it sounds like you're positioning it against their cloud purchases. Yeah, I think I've read lots of research and from chatting to a bunch of clients, I think we're starting to see that run to the cloud sort of temper a little bit. I think people are being more pragmatic about hybrid um, on and off-premise. I th- This is my view, Steve Dickens' view of where we'll be five years from now. I think 80% of clients' workload will sit in the cloud and 20% will sit on-premise behind the firewall. Um, you know, If you want to run a web server these days, you want to run an agile development environment, you, know, you want to go and run a mobile app, you know, unless there's really good reasons from a security or availability performance, scalability, you know, data residency point of view, to keep it on-premise, it's going to be a tough argument to win, you know, let me run your web servers on-premise. Mm-hmm. That ship sailed. And that's probably the bulk of somebody's x86 server environment by volume of servers. That's the 80%. That stuff's gone. That's the stuff you should be putting on the IBM cloud. The 20% is where we need to have the dialogue. And then within that 20%, what's the stuff that get if it gets hacked, you get fired? That's the probably 1% of their overall install base, which is where we should start the conversation. You talked a little bit about um, secure service container on Linux One. Could you kind of describe that a little bit? So it's deeply techy stuff, and as you know, Frank, that's not um, <laughs> my area of expertise, but I'll tell you a story. So if Mark Figley listens to this, I'm stealing his story. So <laughs> there's, the, uh, there's the copyright infringement out of the way straight away. So you're a service provider. You're providing service to a number of different clients, and the FBI turn up and they'd say, we'd, li- we'd like the data on that particular client for whatever valid reason. They've got a warrant. Now, you can go down and ask your sysadmin who's got elevated access rights, who you've given those rights to, and you've locked him down through people and process-type procedures, but technically that um, sysadmin can go and get that data, download it out of the virtual machine, and serve that warrant. From a Linux One perspective with secure service containers, what we're doing is putting that data in what we call a secure enclave, a a logical partition or a container. It's a bad word now with (laughs) Docker, but hey. um, What it effectively does is puts that, that environment in an encrypted enclave. And what that means is that when that person with those elevated access rights goes to get the data, all they get back is encrypted data. So you can't serve the warrant. You can't provide that data to the FBI. Now, I'm not saying any of this to obscure the uh, fantastic <laughs> guys and girls in the in the FBI. Or Certainly the, not. Yeah. <laughs> but I tell the story in that way to give you a context for how you would use that so imagine you're that, still that same service provider 
and the person with the elevated access rights is like me and's got four young children you kidnap those young children i will do anything as a father to get them back you've now socially engineered me and people and process aren't going to stop you right. in that situation giving the data to the people who've got your kids hostage so you're able to get to the data and you're able to get it out when you look at um cyber um security threats about 30 to 40 percent of those are perpetrated by employees do you know the full background of that vm administrator who started <laughs> last week do you know the full background of that contractor who you've just given elevated access rights yes you've got a process yes you've got a compliance certificate yes you've got a way to do it but you, you haven't got a technical engineering way to ensure they can't get the data so secure service containers fantastic piece of technology other people will do a better <laughs> job of explaining it technically but for me that's the the use case not just putting people and process around data security actually engineering that ensures you can't get to the data that's that's the value proposition for me it's uh, it's probably wrong to think about uh, I'm I'm a, I'm a hardware nerd. I, I think about the box itself and I'm the support groups for that. Don't worry, <laughs> <laughs> you'll be fine. We've got you. We'll look after you. Um, I'm, I'm looking at the box and I'm like looking at the components in it and stuff like that. And I'm I'm thinking about it wrong because um, I'm thinking about it a certain way. Um, when the Linux One movement is more about uh, the whole ecosystem and the software that comes with it, that's that's a whole part of the web page when you, when you go to look at it. Um, can you talk a little bit about like the the, the vetting and the porting and, and all the open source software that you know comes into that? So I mean, we're selling a box. Mm -hmm. the, the IBM part of the value chain is the, the box we're selling. So for me, I what I spend time with our sort of technical guys is trying to understand that translation point of where some hardware engineer has done some amazing work over the last five years. What does that mean higher up the stack? So. Let me sort of tell another story. I told you the secure, like stories. <laughs> the secure service container one. So you want to run MongoDB, um, six out of ten of the fastest growing databases are open source databases. Right. So if you're deploying a new app, you're probably not going to be doing it on Oracle. You're probably not going to be doing it on DB2. Sorry. <laughs> I probably offended some DB2 people along the way there. But you're going to be picking a a Postgres, a Mongo, a Skylar, you know, one of the one of the open source databases. Redis. Yeah, Redis. Redis. Yeah. You, you know, because we're we're all big Redis, Redis geeks. geeks. Yeah. Well, okay, there's a support group for that <laughs> as well. Um, but no, I mean, six out of ten of those fastest growing databases are open source databases, and that, kind of no surprise there. So you're picking a MongoDB, and you want to run that on an environment. We're, we'd then go and have that conversation with you to say, well, you could run that on lots of things. You could run it on the public cloud. You could run it on Commodity x86. You could run it on Linux One. So say you want to run a big banking application and you're focused on performance. So the number one reason why people change their banking application is uh, change their bank is because of the mobile application. Mm -hmm. So. I bank with HSBC. My nearest branch is two and a half hours away. I don't go into a branch anymore, uh, but their app is fantastic, and I'm a loyal customer. So you deploy MongoDB at scale for availability, performance, you know, scalability type reasons, 
and you want to translate from the, the hardware techie stuff down in the box to what that means when you deploy MongoDB. Yeah. You could deploy MongoDB on anything, so why deploy it on a Linux one? So, number of different reasons for me. Levels of cache. So, we've put up to four levels of cache in our box. Why is cache important? means you can do just more through that particular processor. So when you're focused on transactions at scale, it's important. RAM memory. Why is fault-tolerant memory important? Well, if the database is sharded across multiple x86 environments and the memory in that server fails, you've got to do a failover. We've taken that scenario out. I was chatting to a client recently who's got three copies of their database because they're on x86. We just turned around to them and, well, we don't need that level of application engineering because mm -hmm. we've done it down in the hardware. So we're working with that customer to re-engineer their application for two copies of the data, not three copies of the data. You look at just the raw chip performance. You look at the I.O. subsystem. You know, all of these very techie things who I'm not the right person to talk mm -hmm. to you about, translate. So what does that mean? So you look at the MongoDB stats and the benchmark we did, a 17-terabyte MongoDB instance without the need to shard. That means you don't need lots and lots of small servers having to run around, work out where the data is. You've got one big MongoDB instance that runs like a scolded cat. <laughs> you know, so if you're doing a banking application and it's one MongoDB database and you don't need to shard it, but you'd have to shard it from an x86 point of view, I've just given you unique capabilities that you couldn't do on anything else. So from a solution architect point of view, that stuff makes sense. As I say, I'm probably the worst person to have that conversation, but... <laughs> That's the type of architectural battle we're trying to win with this box. Well, we, we, we see that again and again as the, something that is so fully baked into the distributed cloud-type model, it just disappears when it's on uh, grown-up hardware. Yeah, so those guys <laughs> plan for hardware failure in their application. Right, it's, it's, it's literally part of it. Yeah, and we, we can change that dialogue, and this client talked about where we were talking about three copies of the data to two. It just took a third of the number of calls out mm -hmm. with not having to do any other smart stuff we were able to eliminate a third of the calls because they just didn't need that compute capacity because they were buying that compute capacity to mask hardware failures at the memory level for those guys right well and you, you know the whole concept of eventual consistency can disappear when I don't have to worry about all that charting Right. Yeah. So, so those guys, you know, Docker containers, virtual machines, all of this technology is is fundamentally there so that workloads are stateless so they can move around on an x86 environment that is designed with failures built into it. When you take those failures out, I'm not saying not to run Docker, I'm not saying not to run virtual machines, you can just use them for other reasons as opposed to being a mask for hardware failures. Hmm. Yeah, I was. I want to make sure that you finish that with yes, we do support Docker, Docker, <laughs> Kubernetes, Mesosphere. Yeah, we still do that yeah, stuff. Pick your pick your <laughs> orchestration but tool you of choice. We've got you covered. But yeah, you can use those for 
orchestration and value-add reasons right. as opposed to as a mechanism to cover you for memory failures. So uh, besides the uh, the Brooklyn accent that you have... <laughs> it's a giveaway, eh, yeah. Frank? <laughs> um, you, you do uh, other stuff, right? You have that open project... Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I had the pleasure of working with the Linux Foundation back in the early part of 2015 with setting up what's called the Open Mainframe Project. So the way the Linux Foundation is kind of structured now um, is more around collaborative projects. So the the big one that's hot is Hyperledger right now. So that's a collaborative project structure. I think they're up at over 350 members. And what they do is it provide a... A kind of central hub, as you, if you will, in the community for anybody who wants to collaborate around blockchain as a technology. So, Hyperledger project. The underlying technology is blockchain. Same structure, Open Mainframe project. Underlying technology is the is the mainframe and and Linux One platforms. So, if you're computer associates, your SUSE, your Velocity Software, your Maris College, you know, you've got your business built around or your academic institution pushing this type of technology. So there was a community already around this stuff that had informally kind of gathered around the technology. The Open Mainframe Project provides that hub. So we've got a structure that Similar, exactly the same structure as you would have for Hyperledger or ODPI or R or you know any of these other open source projects. Um, my favourite is the Open Drone project, <laughs> where the where the community's gathered around that Linux as an operating system for drones. I've got to find a way to interact with that one. Yeah, but, that's a good one. Um, <coughs> or automotive Linux, which is how they get together to push Linux as an operating system for cars, but. Um, Joking aside, you know those. It, it's a gathering place in the community. So we've got academic members, we've got um, students coding for us, we've got uh, twelve interns this summer um, who are running an internship project. We've run hackathons, you know, promoting Linux and open source on this compute platform. Cool. And how can um you know this is a good chance for you to, to to plug your so our literally dozens of listeners can find out where you know <laughs> both of them yeah well we're gonna try and fix the dozens of listeners right. bit but but uh, you know where can somebody find out more information about that and and your efforts so you can either go linuxfoundation.org and then go into the collaborative projects page and you'll find us there or you can go directly to us at openmainframeproject.org we're on Slack we're on Discourse. You know, we're pretty easy to engage with. You can join up our mailing lists. As an individual, it's free to be a member. Um, so you get on a mailing list. We tell you about what's going on on the project and give you ways to get involved. Um, there's coding projects you can get involved in. We've got a few code bases that we maintain under the project. Um, so you can, as a developer, just get stuck in and hack and get stuff done. If you're a corporate member and Linux is on, on the mainframe platforms, Jeff's important. Bank. <laughs> Jeff's Bank, and Thanks you want to be a member, we've got a couple of um, clients who are members of the project now, and we've got a structure for clients to get involved, or, or software vendors and, and hardware prevent providers to get involved as well. So, yeah. openmainframeproject.org. Yeah, you got to make sure you say bank when you say that Jeff's Bank. Oh, oh! Yeah. I've, that's, that's a flaw in my plan. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, 
this has been great, uh, Steve. We really appreciate you coming over. Maybe we should have uh, one of those educational types be on the show sometime soon. Harry Williams from Marist would be perfect. That's a fantastic idea. If only we could get him to come. If only. If only you could get him to come two miles down the road. Yes. Well, again, thank you very much. And we uh, might have to Skype him in. Or <laughs> we'll take the studio to him. <laughs> we'll work on that. In the meantime, Old Man Charlie, run us out. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at TerminalTalk.net. That's contact at TerminalTalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence, signing off.